Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. This time of year, uh, when my son wakes up in the morning, my oldest son, he the first thing he says before his eyes are even open is, who won? And that's because he is, and we are, quite the big NBA fans in our house. And these NBA games are so late now. A lot of them don't start till 10.30, and even my old self cannot stay up and finish most of these games. And, and so I always remind him, very first thing in the morning, of who won. Who won? And so I find out what that is. Now, this, that's this time of year. When you move into March, when Kentucky's playing basketball, his language is just slightly different. It's, did we win? Now, clearly my son has never stepped foot on the court at Rupp Arena, has never made a basket there. Hopefully one day he will. He certainly thinks he's going to. But that language shift, that change is very, very important and very subtle, but it shows that there's not just an outcome he's looking for. He's understanding a sense of identity with who he is learning about in basketball. That profound shift in talking about the we is important. In fact, it's one of my favorite things as a pastor, watching, many of you have done this, watching you move from the point where you stop saying, what are you guys doing, to saying, what are we doing? As restoration. When you move from you guys or y'all or what is restoration doing to saying very subtly but intentionally, what are we doing here? I hope all of you, I hope all of us feel or eventually feel that sense of not just you, but that we are a we together. That shift into this is not just something I come to and consume. This is a people, this is a family that I belong to. No longer is this just an outcome. This is now us. This is who we are. And I don't know whether or not you call restoration your we, but this passage we just heard from Maggie that I was so excited to preach about that I jumped up so early to do speaks to this we that we are being called to in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, it's a letter written to a collection of churches in what was called Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And so he's writing to mostly Gentile Christians, some Jewish likely as well, And they have come to faith in Jesus very suddenly in this new reality where most people are not believers and they are going through suffering because of it. And Peter is writing these words. If you read through the whole book, he's writing these words as an encouragement in the midst of suffering, telling this fledgling church or this community, this connection of multiple churches to hold on to the hope that they have. And we're going to give our attention to those last couple of verses that we saw today in Maggie's reading. Look with me again here on the screen. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. 
Father, when we come into that place where we have a we, it is a holy moment. And so I pray as we come to your word this morning, we do so with the reverence of knowing we're being shaped by something, being shaped by someone, and not just as individuals, but being shaped into a body together, being built together as God's holy people. God, I don't want to come to your word without the reverence of an expectation that we do not just consume, but God, you are forming something in us. And so in each of us, Lord, as we hear these words, help us to feel both the gravity of what you're doing and the sheer relief that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. Lead us in that, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is a promise that speaks not only to the life we've been called to live in the world. It's also questions that we as a church, as restoration, must wrestle with. Meaning, who are we to be as a community in Lexington, Kentucky? And how are we called to inhabit this world? How are we called to live as followers of Jesus in the particular context and jobs and schools and friendships where we are actually at? How does Jesus take shape within us as individuals and as a community? This is a question using Peter's language that actually begins way back in Exodus with some very intentional language he is pushing us to remember. Exodus 19, it's on Mount Sinai. Moses is about to get the Ten Commandments, and this is what Exodus 19 says. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him on the, from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, did that sound any bit familiar to you whatsoever? Peter's clearly pointing us back to Exodus 19, reminding us of this covenantal promise that was given to Israel, although it's a different kind of promise with a different kind of covenant. If you notice, it's telling them this promise of their inheritance is contingent upon their obedience. If you obey, you will be my treasured possession. If you follow the law, I'll make you the kingdom of priests that I've promised you to be. And as we know, if you've read the scriptures, they don't. They don't obey over and over and over again. The Old Testament is a story not of a bunch of spiritual heroes, but a bunch of people who continually fail, and yet God continuing to be faithful in the midst of their failure. That's better news than looking back at the Old Testament with a lot of dodgy characters, let's be honest, and thinking that it's giving us a bunch of people to aspire to. No, it's saying, as you see these collection of screw-ups, wow, God is still faithful in the midst of all of this? 
In the midst of disobedience, outright rejection, and idolatry, God remains faithful to these people. Hopefully you read the Old Testament and you think, where does this faithfulness lead? And then we see that faithfulness is embodied in Jesus. And as Jesus comes, he takes upon our flesh and blood in the faithfulness of God. He fulfills the law on our behalf in ways that we could not on our own. He gives us his righteousness as a gift, not as something that we earn. And this is what's so different about Peter's words, even though they are similar. Because in the old covenant, obedience brings identity. If I obey, then that's who I am. Maybe you have understood that's what Christianity is. But that, my friends, that's the old covenant. The promise of the new covenant in Jesus that we have, this new covenant that tells us that identity now produces obedience. That who we are and have been declared to be in Christ is now the fuel and fire for the life that we live in obedience. Do you see the difference? Obeying in order to become who we should be versus knowing who we are in Christ and out of that knowledge, out of who we have been declared to be, we follow Jesus. Isn't that good news? We can say that, right? It's good news. It's good news because I don't have to earn who I am anymore. In every other scenario in our culture, in our world, identity is earned or built or bought. Identity in Christ is bestowed upon us, is declared over us, saying that you are sons and daughters of God. You've been made to be this identity apart from your effort, apart from your obedience. And when we come to see and live into this, obedience and trust come out of that. This is the gospel in that we have been declared to be these things. And now, because of this, we belong. This words, these words here in this passage that Peter is talking about, as he's telling us that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. There's three words we see here that speak to this new sense of we. This new sense of belonging. There's genos, which literally means your kin. Now, we, we know what kin is, like my kin. This is Kentucky here. We know what that is. It's, it's your, the people you came from. That's what this, this Greek word genos means. And then it says here, the second word there, the holy nation, ethnos, is the nation you belong to. It's your national identity. And laos is a kind of like the tribe that, where you find your identity, that sense of the larger sense of the we together. Peter is telling us in this full spectrum of identity, not only in who you're related to, not only in the nation that you live in, not only in the tribe that you feel connected to, all of these now you have in Christ. All of these now supersede and empower and transcend your familial identity, which for a lot of us looking at our families, that's good news. It transcends your national identity, meaning that my belonging to the body of Christ is bigger than my allegiance to America and should be. We belong to a multinational family. And then laos is this idea of 
tribe, meaning this is bigger than all of the ways that I try to find a sense of belonging in this world. It doesn't erase our individual identities. It doesn't erase our distinctions. But what it does is transcend these places. It transcends our backgrounds, our history, and the places and people from which we came. Now, we are desiring as a church to have not uniformity, but unity in this. We don't all want to be alike in this. We can have and celebrate difference, racial difference, identity difference, all sorts of things. But in that unity, it's not in our alikeness. It is in Christ that we find that sense of belonging. In Christ, we fully and finally, you need to know this, you belong. You belong. And we belong, Peter's telling us, we belong together. We don't belong because we always agree, because we will disagree. We don't belong together because we all look alike and vote alike and think alike and live alike. No, that's not where our belonging is now. Our belonging is in Christ We've been made into a new family, a new kind of family that doesn't make sense to the tribalistic, polarizing world that we have found ourselves in. And in this, we are called, Peter uses this language, Moses uses this language, and he's hearkening back to it, something I want to give our attention to for the rest of our time. He calls us a kingdom of priests. What does it mean to be a priest? First, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, we're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. Holy, this word holy means set apart for a divine purpose. Because you and I have been called, each one of us, not just the dude on the stage, each one of us being called into the priesthood of all believers, we are holy and set apart for God's divine purpose in this world. World, We are intentionally, fundamentally different from the world around us. And here's the thing, though. While this certainly speaks of that difference, it's not always speaking about our behavior or the life that we live. It's definitely not saying that we are separate. Henry Nouwen writes that the spiritual life does not remove us from the world, but leads us deeper into it. To be a royal priesthood does not mean that we separate ourselves from everyone else. To be set apart also means that we are not set above others. This is where we have gone so wrong so often. We have used the call to be holy as a call to separate and stand over others. And when we are called into the holiness of this priesthood of every believer, you better not see that as Jesus giving you permission to stand in superiority morally over other people, as if you need Jesus less than they do. That's not what the passage is telling us. And we know that because it's not forming us into being Christ-like. You are set apart, different in Jesus. And while you're in the world and not of the world, which was a phrase I grew up with quite a bit, you are for the world. You are in it. No, you're not of it. 
but in Christ, you are for it. You are for their good. Which speaks to us the why of how we are set apart. A royal priesthood, as we continue, it intercedes between God and the world. Here's what I mean by this. We're called to stand in the gap. We're called to go to the world on behalf of God and to go to God on behalf of the world. And this is only possible because this new covenant promise in Jesus that God is, as we have said so often, God is what? Already present and already at work all around us, that we aren't bringing God to people and places where he is absent. And because this is true, we understand our calling as a royal priesthood in a very different way. If you think about it, what an arrogant and absurd and paternalistic way to live, to think that we are gathering today to pick up a little bit of God and take it to those evil people out here where they just are just far, far away from him. The scriptures tell us a very different story that God is near, God is present, always at work. God is present and at work in people's lives in ways they cannot see and is going ahead of them always to prepare a way. There was a point when you didn't know God was at work in your life and thank God he was. Thank God he was already stirring. Before you sought him, he was seeking you out. So we need to understand as we interact with our coworkers, with our fellow students, with, with the people we see in and, in and out through the week, our families, our friends, we don't bring God, we join him. We join the work that he's already doing. As priests then, we live at the intersection of heaven and earth. In Jesus. Restoration, this is why we pray. Not just because we're supposed to pray, not because prayer makes God somehow more happy and therefore he does what he wants. We pray because we live in this supernatural reality where heaven and earth meet in Christ in us. And so any moment can be a holy moment. Any person can be a person God is already calling you to love and be near to, to serve and to love like Jesus. We are living then this future we are called to into the present. As Jesus teaches us to pray, what? Your kingdom come your will be done on earth, in my family, in my job, in my friendships, in my marriage, as it is in heaven. And we pray these things because we have the audacity as a priesthood of every believer to believe that we are already at the intersection of heaven and earth, right where we are. And when we know that, we'll pray. Prayerlessness is not often a lack of strategy or teaching. It's a lack of belief. It's a lack of understanding the divine purpose we have, where we are, and that the kingdom is already in our midst, waiting to be joined. And when we step into it with prayer, things can change. And I, I think as we process through this as a church, as restoration, it, it should fundamentally change and even charge our imagination for who we can be. 
charge our imagination to understand our calling in the world. I want to kind of try to understand this visually together. Look with me on the screen. There's, there's one way that we have often understood our, our part in this play, that God is over there and then there's the world. And these are two separate spheres. In most accounts, uh, meaning that when you come to salvation, you're leaving the world behind and going towards Christ. Now, how do we leave the world and go to God? Well, we go to church. Church becomes this space that we go to that's actually outside of the world where we meet God and We hope to get people to come and meet God. This is where we do the God stuff, the praying and the worshiping and the serving, all the stuff we know we're supposed to do. Good things, but good things that exist outside of the context of where we actually do our normal life. And and, and, and their mission in this mindset then is because God's over here, because the world's over here, and church is that place in the middle where we not only try to get God to show up, but we try to get all of our friends, we try to get the world into the church so that they can be changed by God as well. That's the mission that we have shaped when this is our mentality. Weekly, there is a pressure then, a pressure that comes on you to figure out how you're gonna get everybody in here And then the pressure is on us of how are we going to get God to show up and change everything so they can go out and get more of the world to come in here and hopefully we sing the right songs and I say the right stuff and I don't go up before announcements and things like that and God can actually show up in this room so stuff happens. And you know what happens over time? That is exhausting. It's so exhausting. And it's especially exhausting for people who inhabit this space up here to wonder, how are we going to top it next week? How are we going to get God to show up big so that we can get our Jesus fuzzies and go out into the world and bring everybody back in here? It's very, very exhausting. And here's the issue. Not only is all of this what we're talking about here, not only is it a theological mess, It's not really good news, is it? Instead, what we see is that in the the Gospels, that the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it has restored creation back to God. 2 Corinthians 5 makes this abundantly clear. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. My people, this is what makes this good news. Is that in Christ, we no longer live in a reality where God is over here or the world is over here. But in Christ, the world has been reconciled back to God. And we've been given what's called the ministry, the message of reconciliation, meaning we are a living witness of God 
in the world. We are a living witness of God's reconciling work of making all things new in Christ. The mission now is not centered on getting the church to, to be filled with God, but getting the church to actually join God in his restoring work in the world. This, to me, my friends, this is such a huge relief. It is a massive relief to me that God is already present, already working in our lives, already bringing reconciliation, and it's not up to us to do the right things to get him to show up. It's not up to us to bring God to places and to people where he is absent. Instead, our lives echo this message, this ministry of reconciliation where we are. We walk out of here, back to our homes and our jobs and our schools, and in where we actually are week in and week out, knowing God is bringing reconciliation here. In this mess, in this relationship, he is restoring what I thought could not be restored. He is entering into places I did not expect him to even care about. I thought he cared about me showing up here when in reality we show up here because we're being filled and reminded that we are restorers out there. That's why we named this church Restoration, is the stubborn and audacious belief that we walk out of here as restorers in the kingdom where we are. Now, Peter speaks of this, calling us a chosen people, a royal priesthood as a holy nation, as God's own people, calling us to join God where we are. You have been empowered and sent as reconcilers, as restorers, as a people who live at the intersection of heaven and earth. I love these words from John Rittner, who wrote a fantastic book. He says, we often wrongly assume that the primary activity of God is in the church. But instead, the primary activity of God is in the world. And the church is an instrument created by God to be sent into the world to participate in what he is already doing. Now, a quick aside. When you hear these things, I know it can be heard as what we do here does not matter. Please don't hear that. Because as we gather for worship, we gather with the expectation that God just doesn't send us out in our own power. Every experience in my life of burnout has been because I decided I already knew what God was wanting me to do out there and just went and just assumed that I can just do it and not be filled and not come and be reminded that I myself need the same restoration I want to bring out there. So when we gather for worship in moments like this, we gather in that remembrance, in that humility that mission isn't ours to wield. Mission is what is the overflow of what we are receiving in God. So we start here in presence and praying and asking God to empower and fill us and send us out so that we can be the restorers he's bringing in us. He's bringing the restoration and we're offering that to the world. Every time without fail I've experienced burnout, it's been because I've tried to do it on my own apart from God. I've used strategy. I've used best practices and ideas 
I love reading books. And what I learned about myself a long time ago is I read books and get ideas because I'd rather just find out strategy instead of actually just go to God and obey. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to come on a Sunday like this in a crazy rainstorm before the announcements and believe that God is empowering and sending this church to something incredible this week. And with the humility that I need him so much to do what he's calling me to do. And together that we, that holy we, can be empowered for something beautiful in this world around us. So as we move into a time of communion and worship together, I want to encourage you to pray. And that phrase that Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to put a blank there on where on earth would be. Where is that for you? Where are you needing the kingdom of God to come? Where are you needing the presence of God to transform? And I want you, as we take these elements, remembering the body of Christ broken for us, remembering the blood of Jesus shed for us, for our sin, we remember this, remembering, remembering, remembering that God has restored us back to him, remembering our identity, and then asking him, and your kingdom come, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my marriage, in my job, my struggle and my loneliness on earth as it is in heaven. Go to the Lord in prayer and ask him boldly to step into these places. As Hannah leads us, I'll be over here.